You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Sarah Berman. Sarah, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. We're talking about your upcoming show at Christian Hilliarda Gallery, and I'd I'd love to talk more about what's happening here. Um, Of course, you've had a lot of shows and a a big history. Um, In this show coming up, it's called No Visible Means of Support, and I'd love to begin, perhaps, with talking about that that title. That title is both fascinating and and kind of terrifying in a way. What what were you thinking with that particular title? Well, um, it came about for two reasons. Um, I made a painting um, during the course of the year. All the works for this year have been, for this show, have been made over the course of a year. And that wasn't intentional, but I had a, a pretty seismic year. And I tend to, I paint myself. And obviously, as I'm looking at this work, I'm realizing that it's kind of pertaining to this year and what's happened. And it was a year in which I came out as a lesbian. And I have three children, and I was married, and I come from a you know, fairly um, traditional Jewish background, um, not religious, but socially fairly conservative, and it was you know, I just felt I was free-falling, and I had no visible means <laughs> of support, but it also pertains to the work itself, where I'm dealing with the figure in space, and some of the works appear to look as though I should be supported, yet I'm not. So it sort of came from the two different places of considering that position. I love that um, that context, that framing. So, you know, this, uh, because we can all relate to that in, in, in so many ways, but this idea of no visible means of support is also something that's said about, about artists, um, Right. This is you're talking about it in a, in in a. It sounds to me like an emotional and a psychological con, context, but it's often talked about just in terms of how artists survive. Like there there is no visible means of financial support, right? And often there's no context. So just the work has to speak for itself and provide its support. And I found that the work was my support over the past year, okay, I spent most of my year in my studio um, sort of looking for ways to support myself, not financially, but emotionally, as you said, and realizing that all the structures that I'd used previously to support me in terms of making work, and again, I don't mean the financial, I mean um, a sort of a life, a lifestyle, if you like. I'd, you know, get up, take my kids to school, and then go into the studio, and my life is kind of pretty sort of normal, and that normal would allow me to go into the studio and make things that were not ordinary or extraordinary. I was trying to make things extra extraordinary. And then when that sort of turned on its head, I was sort of flying by the seat of my pants, if you like. And the only place I could anchor myself was in these paintings. So they sort of became my means of support. They became, yeah, a means of supporting themselves. So, so let's talk about the paintings. Um, as you're saying, these are these are figures. These are, um, as I understand it, kind of autobiographical. 
these figures are doing different things within space. Can, can you talk a little bit about this series? And, and, and we can go through it, but there's, they're doing different types of things, right? Is, there, is, it, is, the, is the theme to them a certain type of, of movement through space? Or um, what's happening in this series? I think what's interesting for me is that I didn't have a plan where in terms of what the work was going to look like. I didn't know I was going to do X amount of paintings or what they were going to be. I sort of started painting. And I've moved through the year. And during the time, the different paintings are showing different things. I didn't know what they were doing at the time, and I tend not to. Um, I don't think that's... Um, for me, it's not helpful to know where a painting is going to end up. Um, I think I have to be... It's like a game of chess, if you like. So I'll make a move, the painting will make a move, and... Through this series, something will emerge, and paintings through the course of the year get looser, brush marks seem to get freer, and I think that's really interesting. It's not meant as a metaphor, but I think that um, obviously the personal becomes political, and I can see it in the work. Um, so sometimes there's one figure, sometimes there's two figures, sometimes there's even three figures, and there's definitely a conversation going on within each work between the figures and they are me but that's it's less about trying to deal with myself and more trying to deal with paint so it's really interesting when I can see myself dealing with myself through paint not not in a representative way which is, it sounds counterintuitive because I am painting myself I'm a figurative painter but I'm trying to use myself as a way to get to paint what I do is I, I paint with particular marks so I tend to only use the vertical and the horizontal. And this is a reference to, well, it's, it's kind of a reference to weaving, I suppose. So often the, the paintings look very textured. They look like, like a textile. And I realized that over the course of the year, I was breaking more rules. I was pushing paint into other directions. And I was being, I used a lot of scraping and pulling and wiping to take paint away when I, and I'm not happy with what's going on. I realise that these paintings are very large scale. There are about eight, two metre by two metre paintings which are currently going to the show. So they took a sort of big sort of physical act to approach each one. And I found myself sort of throwing myself into the painting. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. And, you know, to speak a little bit about a few things there, the, the Harlequin, of course, there's also the kind of clothing and colors that look almost um, like 17th or 18th century. I don't know really where the Harlequin comes from. It's a very ancient kind of figure, or it, it feels that way to me. You have um, degrees both in fashion design and um, and then later an MFA in painting. So, and, and you ran a you know, fashion brand your, yourself. How does that relate to this? Because it seems that your your attention to the clothing, Harlequin, um, the colors, the, the kind of tassels, variety of things that, that, that come with that, um, are also informed perhaps by your experience as a designer? Well, I think I understand the semiotics of dress. So I don't use clothing lightly. Um, the items that I choose have all got sort of a personal reference or an emotional reference to them. And, but within that, I do obviously understand how clothes operate, both as a sort of um, a metaphor and also as a form of armor, if you like. So the body is, is kind of clothed 
hidden sheathed in various different garments. Some of those garments might be silk. Sometimes I've used leather. Sometimes I've used a garment that has text on it. Or I've used something that was found in a particular place or worn by a particular person previous to myself. Um, often I'm using the straps, bindings, buckles, ties. Um, the Harlequin pattern, and I wouldn't say it's about fashion, it's more about a language. That came about from many years of working in the fashion industry. And again, that's less about taste and more about a sensation. For example, a shirt with a, with a, with a big armhole bunched underneath a tank that is smaller is going to have a very particular haptic sensation under the armpit, a sort of discomfort, if you like. Or having a tie at the neck, you're going to feel that in a particular way. And those are things that I've thought about quite a lot in this series. Um, there's also a particular painting where there's a dress that says, what part of no don't you understand? But I've cut off part of the writing. So it just says, no, don't you understand? So it's more about using clothes as a way of thinking about how that figure might feel, the shapes created by it. Um, the interruptions in line that I find interesting. Um, I used to paint clothing with no definition and be quite careful to avoid definitions, whereas this series, for the first time, things are much more defined, um, even if they are slightly obscure in some ways. So looking at the shapes that are made by a haptic sensation, it sounds totally counterintuitive. Uh, so this is a kind of fascinating perspective to me. And um, so, so in this show, which is in, in a way affirming and celebratory in a number of ways, um, coming up this this fall, it has uh, you know there's there's artists that are making work that have a variety of narratives, but this is this is so personal in a, in a way, and and could be empowering for others as well. It seems it seems. Um, that it has a uh, an almost social effect. I don't want to say activist, but but this is. Would you say the work has a kind of social engagement? I mean, it's it's having that effect on me as I talk to you and learn more about it. I mean, the clothes pose questions. For example, if we're looking at, um, I'm looking. I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm looking at one of the paintings, and again, it's actually the one that's out. So, it's a pair of shorts. And they kind of look like a, a boy's pair of shorts. It could also look like a mini skirt. It's actually a pair of shorts that were by um, Moogler from the 80s. So a lot of the time I use vintage things and they've got a high waist. that You can't actually see the high waist in the paintings, but it makes them very tight around the waist, quite restricted. And I've paired them. And they're quite, obviously quite an androgynous garment because they're just a pair of little shorts. But they were made as couture way back in the 80s. They've got this tight high waist that's hidden by a tank top, a heavy, woolly, knitted tank top. And underneath is a pussy bow blouse. And these things together kind of don't really make sense because they're a mixture of sort of things that are quite androgynous. But then there's this kind of tie at the neck that I've done in quite a girly way, but it's quite restrictive. So there are, the clothes are often a little bit off if you like, strange together, don't quite make sense. 
not the kind of it's not an outfit that someone would necessarily put together and wear down the street or in another painting i'm wearing leopard print boys swimming trunks with cowboy boots and a man's striped shirt and a tank top that was from paul weller's album there's kind of a festive feel if you like but actually Mm. they don't really work as kind of for a particular gender or a particular moment it's not like a sort of a, an image of a, of a woman wearing a cocktail dress where you know how to place it. There's a, there's a definite misplacement possible with every single one. Mm. They don't have a kind of a societal right place. I like that. Sarah, I want to thank you for talking with me today and for listeners. Of course, there's links here to find out more about the show. But Sarah, thank you so much for your time and, and work. Thank you so much. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.